Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Fried the Burnout Podcast. Today, I am talking to Dr. DiCarlo, who is an expert in the field of integrative medicine. Beginning her career as a trauma nurse working at prestigious hospitals such as the Johns, the Johns Hopkins Hospital, Georgetown Medical Center, and NYU Medical Center, she then returned to graduate school to pursue a career in integrative medicine. In an effort to make integrative therapies readily accessible to patients facing a cancer diagnosis, Dr. DiCarlo helped develop and coordinate what is now the Integrative Oncology Program at the Mount Sinai Beth Israel Comprehensive Cancer Center in New York, New York. She currently sees patients in a private practice setting in northern New Jersey, where she specializes in an integrative approach to addressing both oncology and a variety of acute and chronic disease. Dr. DiCarlo, thank you for being here with me today. I am so grateful for your time. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And so every episode, we've been starting with your burnout story. You know, you have this very impressive career. And so this will be, I think, interesting for people to hear that even amongst this and amongst passionate work, people can still burn out. So if you could let us know what happened, we would love to hear your story. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll start by, um, by saying that from an early age, I was always drawn to the field of healthcare. Um, I wasn't sure in what way, but I knew that whatever I wanted to do with my life had to involve taking care of people in some way. So uh, nursing seems like a natural thing for me to do. And at the time, being 18, uh, getting ready to go to college, I wasn't sure what type of nursing I wanted to do. And I didn't even fully understand the range of options that I had. Uh, so I, I completed a degree. Um, I received a bachelor's of science in nursing from the University of Scranton and uh, was lucky enough to land my first at uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. And I was given two choices to work either in the psych department or in trauma surgery. So I picked trauma, not having any idea what I was going to face as a trauma nurse. So uh, even back then, you didn't even have the shows that we have now, like Trauma Life in the ER, where you kind of get a little bit of a glimpse. I had no idea. So two weeks in uh, to starting that position, I went to my nurse manager and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it. And she said, everybody says that in the beginning. Uh, what makes you think you can't do this? And I said, I just can't handle people coming in and um, what's separating them from life and death. And I remember literally saying that to her because I felt I was working an evening shift, which is kind of a skeleton crew. Uh, so we didn't quite have the help that, that we had on days. So it was, there were times where it was me, a surgeon, an anesthesiologist, and this person was literally dying. And it was up to the three of us to try to save them. And unfortunately, uh, we weren't 
able to do that in a lot of the cases. And even in the cases where we were and they would leave the operating room, we had no idea, at least I didn't, what would happen after they went to the ICU. I was so busy, I never got a chance to really follow up, unless it was a particularly special case or pediatrics. I, I often would, would go and, and see what the outcome of that was, but there wasn't time. And sometimes I just plain didn't want to know. So I found myself in a position where I was doing what I thought I had set out to do. I was in a career that I thought was going to be a lifelong career for me, but I was physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted at the end of every single shift. And I was 22 years old. And I just couldn't imagine the rest of my life leaving the hospital that way and going home. And, and I found it, it was obviously affecting my sleep. It was affecting the way I was eating. It was affecting everything. And so I decided that I was going to give it another couple years. But it, it became very difficult to sustain that level of, I, I was going through my own trauma, let's put it that way. Um, a lot of times we were left to tell the families of patients who had died suddenly, and that's what trauma is. So, you know, 8 p.m. you're alive, 9 p.m. you're not. And we would have to go out to the waiting room and, and tell mothers and fathers and siblings and friends that their son or daughter had passed away from, from what was usually a violent crime, just because of the area that I was working. Baltimore um, was and still is an area where there is a lot of violent crime. And that seemed to be the bulk of uh, the trauma cases that would come in through our department. And so I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it's not trauma I can't do. Maybe it's violent trauma that I can't do. So what I decided to do at that point is to leave Johns Hopkins and become a travel nurse and do three-month contracts at different hospitals in the OR and see if I could handle it a little bit better. And to make a long story a little bit shorter, that didn't work either because everywhere you go, you're, you're doing trauma surgery. It's pretty much the same thing. And I realized that running from what I was starting to feel was not a great career choice was not going to work long-term for me. I was just going from hospital to hospital, realizing that it wasn't the hospital. Maybe it wasn't the nature of the trauma that was bothering me. It was that I wasn't able to see patients through their care the way I had hoped I would be when I first became a nurse. So I, I had to really think about whether or not I wanted to stay in healthcare at all. And if not, what was I going to do? And if I was going to stay, what were my choices? So after a time, um, I decided to, I was always drawn to holistic medicine. So um, I decided to return to school and I ended up um, getting a doctorate in that field. And I went on to coordinate the uh, integrative oncology program at Mount Sinai Beth Israel, which was really where I realized that it wasn't healthcare that was burning me out. It, and it wasn't hospitals that were burning me out, because here I was right back in it. It was the nature of the care that I was providing. It just didn't line up with who I felt I was and how I wanted to contribute to the world of healthcare. And I think that when 
you're doing something every day, as good as it might be. I mean, you know, certainly we were, we were saving a lot of lives and they continue to save, save lives there every day, Hopkins, Georgetown. But for me, showing up every day and doing something that didn't feel like it was in line with what I was called to do in healthcare, that was what was burning me out. So it wasn't the hospital and it wasn't taking care of patients. It was that I just wasn't doing it in the right way. So that was really an eye-opening experience and certainly a relief because now at this point, I had returned to, to school and, and now I had a doctorate and a degree that I really hoped I could use. So um, I, I was able to use that in a way that resonated with, with who I was. So um, I loved that job. I, it was something that I didn't expect to love quite as much as I did, but, but developing, coordinating that program and providing integrative therapies to patients that were undergoing um, cancer diagnosis and treatment really felt like that was the direction that I had been heading my whole life. And I was finally there. And the only reason I left was that, you know, we had moved to Montclair, New Jersey, and, and the commute into the city was difficult. So um, what I decided to do then was to take what I now knew I was passionate about and channel that into a private practice setting, which is exactly what I did. So I, I moved back to New Jersey, and I was able to open up private practice, uh, which is where I am today, treating patients um, not only just oncology patients, but patients with a variety of acute and chronic illnesses with integrative therapies like acupuncture and other Chinese medicine modalities. I have a um, herbal apothecary in my office, so I'm able to uh, give patients herbal prescriptions if need be. And this is, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know that now, but I don't think I would have, have, have arrived here if I didn't have the experience of starting somewhere and having to be truthful with myself about that not being where I belonged. That's a really important statement. That's a really important statement and something that continuously comes up in these conversations about, and kind of very similar along the lines of your story is some things that I keep hearing over and over again. And those things are, I always wanted this. I did it the way I thought it was supposed to be done. It turned out that I was wrong. It almost destroyed my health, or it destroyed my health in some cases, until I stopped and started asking myself, what's really going on here? Part of this, especially for those of us that end up in jobs like acupuncture and Chinese medicine, which is, is way off course from what we, most of us know growing up, you don't, I don't know too many people that are growing up wanting to be acupuncturists who don't have um, a grandparent or a parent who is already an acupuncturist. It's just not in the average American's wheelhouse. So I started pre-med thinking I was going to become a doctor and pretty soon was like, uh, this is not it. But we don't know. When we know that we want to help people, we just grab onto an idea that seems like it might be it. And our ability to let go of that idea when we realize it's not it seems to be what allows us to prevent ourselves from completely burning out. So that ability you had to be truthful with yourself in those moments was absolutely key. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that a lot of us have this mentality, and it's not such a bad thing, that we're supposed to bloom where we're planted, right? So I had planted myself at 22 at a hospital in trauma, and I just had to make the best of it because that's what you do. I made a choice, and there was a lot of great things about that job, don't get me wrong. But in my head, I, I remember saying to myself, you have to bloom where you're planted. Just make the best of it. And I think that sometimes we ignore the fact that we're so caught up in this idea of blooming where we're planted that we don't fully recognize that if we would just admit that maybe we're not quite planted in the same place and, and do the tough work of uprooting that, that we might be able to transfer ourselves to a place where we could bloom even more, or we might be able to bloom and, you know, expand where before we weren't really able to do that. And so I had to let go of that bloom where you're planted idea, which was tough. Amen to that. I mean, this was, this is something that kept me in a spiral of burnout for a long time because when I was, I finished acupuncture school when I was 24 and moved to Europe and started working. And it wasn't necessarily the job at that point, but the country that I was living in that was difficult for me. And I was also really getting into life coaching at the time. But again, I was 24, 25 years old. And while I had lived in already multiple countries, spoke multiple languages, I'm married, I've had quite a bit of life experience. There's still just certain things that you don't learn until you learn and you don't learn until you grow older. But I was in this life coaching mode where you know, you're supposed to be able to fix everything by fixing your mind. Right. And I couldn't bloom where I was planted. That soil did not suit me. And it took me about five years to get really honest about that and tell my husband, like, we can't stay here. I can't do this because I cannot bloom in this place. It is not possible. It's the wrong soil. But I was down on myself because I thought I should be able to fix it by changing my own internal stuff, by life coaching my way out of not being happy where I was. Yeah, I, I can completely relate. And, and the conversations that we have with ourselves when we're 22 aren't the conversations that we have with ourselves in our late 20s and throughout our 30s and throughout our 40s. And those conversations, thankfully, at least for me, have changed over the years. And I don't feel the need at this stage in my life the way I did when I was in my 20s to try to have the conversation where I am convincing myself that the situation I'm in is right because I don't know what else to do, because I am afraid of what the next step might be, or I'm unsure of what the next step might be. And so those conversations consist of convincing yourself that you're fine and that you can do a good job, which you probably can, but yep. are you really being, are you standing in your own truth? And right. if you're not, then those conversations have to change. But it takes courage and it takes time and it takes a little, you know, the wisdom that comes from growing older and, like you said, adding to your own life experience to where you realize that those leaps are when you finally stop convincing yourself that you're exactly where you're supposed to be when you know in your heart you're not. 
those leaps often land you someplace beautiful and amazing and maybe scary, but you end up better than where you were before you took the step. And often unexpected. Sure. Often an unexpected place that you might not have considered before because you didn't know about it. Like when you were growing up, you know, and you decide to go to nursing school, you didn't assume that you'd end up an acupuncturist. No, <laughs> no. I, I don't even know if, it, if that word was even in my vocabulary, truthfully, at the time. No, it wasn't in mine. When I went to, when I changed from my pre-med, my pre-med program at Boston University to the master's degree program, at, I went to PCOM San Diego, which I'm saying to Dr. DiCarlo, not to you guys, because you don't necessarily know what that is, but she does. I do. <laughs> um, when I made that change, I went into one of my professor's offices. She was a professor of meditation, and I was taking a master's level course in meditation as part of my sophomore year of college. Don't know why they let me do it, but they did. And her name was Livia Cohn, and she is the world's foremost scholar on Taoism. And I went into her office hours. And I said, Livia, I can't go through med school. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And this is the only thing I've ever planned on doing. So I, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, do Chinese medicine instead. And I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, there's no way I could have ended up in that place. So I got sort of jolted into this world that I ended up loving so much. But like you said, you know, you don't learn the lesson until you learn the lesson. I didn't learn the lessons once I was in my career until I burnt out multiple times. Yeah. It took me to get to that point of being physically and emotionally exhausted to just be like, uh, what's next? Because if it's not acupuncture and it's not medicine, then what is it? And I do believe that it is Chinese medicine at this point in my life after I've been through the ringer a couple of times, but in a different format than the one that I'm used to. Mm-hmm. You know, it changes. And you don't learn those things until you learn those things, just like you said. But something you mentioned earlier, you said that you realized at some point that it was out of alignment with who you are. Yeah. If there's someone listening to this and they might be feeling something similar, but they're not sure if that's it, how would you tell them that that feels? I think it's a generalized sense of, I hate to use the word discontentment, but that's kind of the closest thing that I can think of. I, I knew, I had to be honest about what felt right and what didn't. What felt right was caring for people. What felt right was people coming to me with a particular healthcare issue and me being part of a team that would solve that. That felt right to me. What the, the feeling of, of disalignment, if that's even a word, is came where I didn't I didn't understand how to change what the underlying issues were. And and in trauma, that's a whole different animal. It's not the same animal that I deal with now with oncology and chronic disease. The the underlying issues in trauma 
are, are that's another podcast. <laughs> why, yeah. why young men and women were coming in at 16 years old with multiple gunshot wounds. And that was such a deeper issue. But I, I thought to myself, we're not fixing this. Yes, I'm fixing them. Am I literally stopping the bleeding and, and making it so they don't die tonight? Yes. But I am not fixing the emotional bleeding or the bleeding that results from poverty or feeling isolated from your society or, or whatever it might be that was causing those doors to open every night with these kids and young adults. Um, and that just, that was what really bothered me because yeah, you patch them up and off they go. And I think I, I would have had the same problem perhaps if I had stayed strictly in Western medicine in the hospital only because healthcare is viewed so differently from that angle. You know, a patient comes in with chronic migraines, let's say. And so, you know, your job from a Western medical perspective is to sure, make sure there's no underlying, you know, cause, but then to give medication to, you know, take the pain away, which is the objective. And I felt like I want to do that. Yes. Do I want to take the pain away? I do. But, but what's contributing to this? Is there something else going on that might be contributing to this person having headaches all the time? I don't want to just medicate them. I want to try to get to the bottom of why it's happening in the first place and fix it from the ground up. And maybe along the way, fix some other issues that are happening that are affecting their quality of life, poor sleep, poor digestion, um, whatever the case may be. And I found that with integrative medicine, and I like using that term because, because I straddle the fence of, of Western medicine and what you could either call Eastern or alternative medicine. I like the concept of integrating those two things because I think that they each have their place and that um, we should utilize whatever's appropriate at the time. Um, so that's why I like to use, use that term. Yeah. But for me, in the work that I'm, I'm doing now, I'm able to do that. I'm able to utilize the science behind what we do as practitioners of alternative medicine, Chinese medicine, however you want to phrase it. And I'm also able, because I have more time with my patients, and because now I have knowledge that I didn't have prior to going to grad school, to say, okay, yes, let's treat, let's treat this migraine. We need to get you back to work. We need to get you, you know, being able to have dinner out with your friends and get your life back. But while we're doing that, let's see if we can't figure out when and why this started and try to turn it around so that you're not on this herbal prescription for the rest of your life. And when you do that, when you have the luxury, and I, I do consider it a luxury, this type of medicine that I practice, because I'm able now to sit, to get details that I, I wasn't able, didn't have the time to get at the hospital, and to really be an amateur detective as far as figuring out what to do for this patient so that we can set them on a path to not have this happen again. Do you feel like, you know, you said that not being in alignment for you was something that was leading toward burnout. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like not being in alignment is something that leads towards 
physical manifestations of chronic stress in your patients? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I, and I see it so much because there's an enormous amount of pressure um, to be quote unquote successful. And I have attorneys in my office who want to be artists, but they can't because they don't think that it's acceptable to their family or they don't think that they're gifted enough and they have to make money. I have, you know, people that have this desire to be something or do something and whatever they're doing isn't lining up with that. And yeah, you want to talk about stress when you're, you're leading a life every day that doesn't line up with who and what you believe yourself to be in your heart of hearts, that will cause physical manifestations, the likes of which we couldn't even get into because we don't have time. But, but yeah, and, and oftentimes that doesn't come out initially um, because that takes some work and it takes some time and some questioning from me when I start to suspect that maybe this has more to do with not really being content in your own life versus some truly physical manifestation. But once you uncover that and that light bulb goes off and somebody realizes that they want to and are willing to change, things start to turn around pretty quickly after that, i found. Isn't that an amazing thing to watch? Yeah, for sure. And if someone is, quote unquote, stuck in their life, and they can't necessarily make that big shift that they're waiting for. Are there things that you suggest to people in their day-to-day lives that they could do in order to sort of at least get closer to the, to the middle line for themselves? Yeah, I encourage almost all of my patients to do a gratitude journal. Mm. And I think, and I, I encourage them to do it before bed. And I think that what that does is creates a shift because I I say this all, I don't want to say flippantly, but some of us don't have the luxury to say, well, I love working with flowers. So I'm going to abandon my job as a successful architect that supports my family. And I'm just going to go open up a florist shop. I mean, idealistically, sure. We would all be able to, to drop what we're doing right right towards what we feel calls us, but we don't always have that you know, that luxury. So what I have them do is to name five things, write them down that they're grateful for that happened that particular day. And some days I do it myself. And I can tell you that some days I really don't want to do it. (laughs) I open that book up and I'm like, you got, you got to be kidding me. Now I have to do this, but I make myself do it. And it might be as simple as there was no line at Starbucks this morning or Um, I was running a little bit late to work and I didn't hit any red lights. Something as simple, just grasping onto five things. And sometimes they're huge, huge things. Sometimes they're, you know, a patient that I didn't think I was making any progress with has turned a corner and is doing amazing or something like that. Yeah. Um, But sometimes it's just these little things. and, And so I think it shifts to get to where you said that middle ground where, Am I 100% where I want to be? No. But I can come up with five things, five reasons to be grateful today. And if you do it before bed, I find that it flips that switch to the last thing before 
we lay our heads down is just gratitude. And I think that that goes a really, really long way. And the more grateful you are for what you have, the more motivated I think you feel to make changes. And I I also, the, the other thing that I have them do, if at all possible, is if it's uncovered through my work with patients that there is something that they're passionate about that they can't quite get to, I'll use the florist as an example. I do say, well, you know, you may not be able to change careers. I get that right now. But do you think that you could stop at the flower shop twice a week and make your own arrangement? It doesn't have to be expensive. Just grab a couple things. If you like looking at flowers, make your own arrangement. People go, oh, I, I didn't, that didn't occur to me. If I can't work there, well, no, you can't work there at this stage in your life. But if that's what's bringing you joy, you might be able to incorporate that in a more minute way so that something that's bringing you joy is a part of your everyday life. Yeah, that's a powerful thing to do with people, I think. And that's exactly where where I was going with that question. So I'm so glad you answered it that way because it makes so much sense to me. And one of the things that I love about doing a gratitude journal at night before bed is just like you said, oftentimes when you are not making, I feel like being in that place allows you to not make as many excuses for why you don't have what you want because you start to realize that you do have quite a few things that you want and you start to realize that the things that you want that you don't have are because of certain decisions that you've made and you become more accepting of them. And that creates more space for you to at least inch your way toward That's right. going yeah. in the direction you want to go. I think that in the current world of Instagram tells you that you can just, you know, turn into whoever you want to be tomorrow. I think people don't understand that this theory of taking minuscule steps is more important than anything else. Because even those of us that were able to make all the choices that we wanted based on the things we wanted to do, we did end up where we wanted to go because we were so focused on the big steps that the little things that happened along the way that might have given us clues that we were a little to the left or a little to the right, we ignored because we were all the way in the big. Right. So I think there's even a benefit to being someone who knows they're out of alignment, knows they can't necessarily quit their job tomorrow because they have children to feed and mortgages to pay, and that they have the time to make a bunch of mini steps toward the direction that they think that they would like to go and sort of sort through which pieces of it are in alignment with them and which pieces are not. So medicine and healthcare is definitely in alignment with who you are, but you had to go on a winding path to get there. So if you are someone who feels stuck in a job, take the time to be curious about the things that you assume would make you feel free, the job that you assume would make you feel like a million bucks. Because I've made those choices and been incorrect. I've been wrong. Take the time to be curious so that you can sort of try things on as you go, because the only way to get clarity is through action. So I think that that exercise is really powerful and something that 
if anybody's out there burnt out and feeling stuck and you can't quit your job, small steps in an area that's interesting to you. Get curious. What are you curious about? What would you like to know about? Can you take an online course? Can you do a Japanese flower class? Can you take a law class? Maybe you became an artist and you want to be a lawyer. Sometimes it's the opposite. You know, anything, anything. Can you do a a wine and paint night? It's not going to turn you into Picasso, but it'll get paint on a canvas. Yeah. I like that. Me too. Me too. So when I started writing the book on burnout, which I should finish this summer, right now it's July, yeah, July 2019. I should finish it this summer. One of the things that I noticed was when I looked back at the patients that I had seen over my 12 year career so far as an acupuncturist, was that almost everyone that I was treating was coming to me in some form of burnout and chronic stress. Mm-hmm. Because we do work in this medicine that deals so well with chronic things and chronic stress is behind so much of what we do. So the question then becomes when you see somebody walking into the office and they don't know they're out of alignment necessarily, and you know that there's chronic stress going on, yeah. do you talk to them about it right away or do you wait for it to arise naturally over the course of treatment? It varies because when patients, and you know this, when patients walk through the door, you're assessing things very quickly from the beginning. You're certainly doing a physical assessment. You're assessing their level of eye contact. You're assessing how they're holding their body, how comfortable they are sitting in the chair. You're assessing all of these things. And a lot of that has to do with how they interact with me as their doctor. And so there are patients that I can tell are very eager to disclose things to me. And I can tell that there are patients that are not. And they might be coming with a whole host of issues that I know with 99% certainty are stress-related. But I have to meet that patient where they are. And I do ask very specifically about stress. And some patients right away say, yes, absolutely. I'm stressed about X, Y, and Z, and this is why, and I need help with it. And some say, nope, I'm just here with back pain and because I can't sleep. I don't have any stress. At that point, it's not, in my opinion, wise to push that person to divulge anything that they're not comfortable with. Um, And that's the beautiful thing, really, about integrative medicine, about Chinese medicine modalities. I can, based on my clinical skill, make that determination. And I can go ahead and treat that patient for what I know they're not disclosing necessarily Um, because we're doing it non-pharmaceutically. So it doesn't hurt to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to do a little bit of emotional balancing techniques with this patient. I'm going to, um, I really think that the insomnia is related to stress and we can feel it in their pulse. Right. And we can see it when we do our physical assessment and um, so I, I try to, to meet a patient at their comfort level, but I will say this, that because I, I do a treatment plan with every patient that, that comes into the office the first time. So once we figure out what our goals are, and, and certainly they play a big part in deciding that with me, 
And it, nine times out of 10, it's always lifestyle things. Because I say very pointedly, sure, you're here for back pain, but what if we, if we fixed your back pain to a point where your, your pain level was manageable, what would you be able to do that you can't do now? How would your life change for the better? And they say, well, I haven't been able to hike in a year. Or I'm so uncomfortable when I sit down in a restaurant that I, I'm avoiding going out socially with my friends, and I would like to do that again. So now you have definable goals, and they're almost always centered around lifestyle things. And so I do, sort of do the same thing when I suspect a patient is stressed. I will say, um, you know, if we could decrease your, your stress level, and I don't even need to know what the background of it is, what would change for you? And often when you ask that question, that opens the door to discovering what the nature of the stress is and just how bad it actually is. Because when you phrase it that way, how will your life change if we can get your stress level to where you feel it's manageable? That's a very directed question. It's not a yes or no. How, how would you like your life to change? And that, I find, even the toughest patients, the, the most tight-lipped ones, when you ask them that way, become very eager to talk about what they want their life to look like. And so uh, oftentimes I'll use that strategy. And I think that that's something that people should ask themselves now that are listening. Use a form of this question for whatever it is that you're going through, whatever part of the burnout journey that you happen to be on. What would you be able to do? What would your life allow if this thing wasn't there? Start to deconstruct this for yourself. That's a, it's a really powerful exercise that I'm really grateful that. Um, that you mentioned, Dr. DiCarlo. Yeah, I, I find that it really does. It, it calls to mind what people genuinely think it's important because sometimes they're coming in, and I'm sure you see this too. You know, they fill out their intake form, chief complaint, back pain. Okay, maybe. But so often, it goes so much deeper than what the back pain. It's not the back pain. It's the fact that they can't play with their kids. It's the fact that they can't, that they feel, you know, that they're not able to enjoy themselves socially because they can't stand for more than five minutes. It goes so much deeper than that. And that's something that we get to discover as practitioners of integrative medicine because back pain often in Western medicine is just back pain. But here it's not. It's a symptom of maybe something else, and it's, it's a catalyst for someone not living their truest and best life. I totally agree, and that's definitely what I feel like burnout is for most of the people that I speak to and, and was for myself and sounds like from your story, it was for you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that the things that you shared today are so much in so much alignment with the other messages that I have heard from other people that have burnout journeys. You know, I expected something to be this way. It didn't match what I expected. I ended up physically and emotionally exhausted, and I had to find another way. And what I hope that people get from this message and your story today is that you can find another way and that other way 
may be very closely related to the thing that you're doing today, especially if it matches your initial passion. I agree. And so that's what I would like people to take from today. Dr. DiCarlo, do you have anything else that you would like to say as we wind up today? I think you covered it. Well, that's yeah, wonderful you, then. Yeah, I think you did a fantastic job of really um, summarizing what it really, and, and simplifying it. Because I think when you're experiencing burnout, it feels like such an enormous task. Oh, to God. make that change or to, and because it, it can cause, certainly it can cause depression. It can cause, you know, insomnia. So you're fatigued all the time. And when that happens, you're certainly not going to be as motivated to make change as you would if you were feeling fantastic, but you're not. And it's sort of a vicious cycle of wanting to change, but being afraid to and being too tired to and being perhaps too depressed to because of your current situation. And, and I think that once you are truthful with yourself and you take those small, minute steps like we talked about to sort of pick you up and out and realize that you may not have to make a drastic, drastic change. Like you said, I didn't, I didn't change fields necessarily. I changed the way I practice healthcare. I'm still in it and I'm still loving Western medicine, but I'm just not forced to practice it in a way that didn't feel true to me. So, um, so that was, once I realized that that was the cause of my burnout, certainly um, I was blessed enough to be able to, to make those changes and bring myself to a place where I feel like I can really contribute in a way that I was not able to before. Yes, absolutely. So I just want to take a moment to thank you so, so very much for your experience, your wisdom, and your time today. I truly believe that time is a very precious commodity. So I am grateful on behalf of myself and on behalf of all of the listeners that you gave us your time today. Thanks, Caitlin. I was happy to do it. All right, everybody. That wraps up my conversation with Dr. Shannon DiCarlo, who runs a private practice of integrative medicine in New Jersey. In the show notes, I will have a link to her website and her information. So if you'd like to get in touch, please use that. If you liked this episode and it resonated with you, please do rate us on iTunes or Spotify and leave a review and share it with as many people as you think need to hear this message today. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week.